Welcome to the DEI Discussions podcast series. This is the Women of Fintech chapter and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today we are joined by Elke Bachler, Head of Cybersecurity Services. She's worked for Marsh, Hiscox and HMRC. She is here today to share how she walks the talk for inclusion in our sector and what more she wants done. So welcome, Elka. It's great to have you. I'm really happy to be here. So you've worked for a number of quite high-profile organisations, Marsh and Insurance. What do you do in your job as a technical person that's just so important? Yeah, so at Marsh, who obviously is an insurance broker, risk manager right now, we have a lot of commercial, industrial customers who buy cyber insurance. And cyber insurance is is quite interesting because it's got a different sort of nature to many other insurance products that people might buy. And the technology is really important from the customer understanding how much damage they could have through a cyber incident. And there's obviously different scenarios, so you need to kind of be able to assess that to how they're set up to protect themselves against that incident. The insurers that come along, they typically do some sort of panel interview where they ask lots of questions about the setup and the technical people often need to be mentored and coached to understand what those questions are aiming at so that they don't get either offended or or answering it in a very technical but not very helpful way. Then obviously placement is what what my colleagues, the brokers do, but obviously then when there's an incident, everybody wants to know what's happened and how much is it going to cost and so on. And these incidents can take years to go through that whole claim process. So we support our customers with crisis management and then very quickly start making sure that they get ready to put in their claim if that's what they want to do. Mm. And, and so the whole understanding of the technology that sort of sits behind both getting ready for a cyber incident and then dealing with a cyber incident, it's really helpful to have people who have some, I wouldn't even say technical, technology is really important, but like the operational view of how does that actually work in practice. Mm. I can imagine there's so many facets to this because just human nature, you hope that everything will be all right. You don't think it's going to happen to you. But when it does, wow, you want to know all about it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of customers find when they go through that process that they're not very well set up to react. And in cyber particularly, the reaction, the first reaction is very important. So what we do is to try and help them prepare for it with you know helping to look at their incident plan and if they don't have one that's really bad you know we do desktop exercises and so on i think it's quite important for people to understand that no matter what you do there's always a chance that you're going to have an incident that's mm-hmm. just part of the deal unless you turn everything off there will there's always a risk and preparing for that incident and handling it well is as important as trying to avoid that incident mm-hmm. a lot of people think just as long as i've got all the technical controls everything will be hunky-dory and that just just absolutely never going to be mm-hmm. the case mm-hmm. absolutely so tell us a bit more about the skills needed to be a CISO because it's not that straightforward mm-hmm. is it yeah, it's really, that's a really interesting question because I've often been asked, like, how did you end up being a CISO? Because I have a bit of a mixed background. I've done various different jobs in various different organizations. And I think for a CISO, I think the first thing that people tend to forget is that it's, it's not in first instance a technical role. I mean, absolutely, you need to understand the technology. You've got to be very interested in the technology. You need to be able to talk to technologists about what they do. But you don't need to be the person 
I have never in my life configured a firewall and mm -hmm. I am never going to do that. And if anybody asks me to do it, then quite frankly, they should be locked away because that would be mm -hmm. a very stupid thing to do. But you need to understand how it all hangs together. And then you need to be able to understand how you can communicate the risk that the organization runs to the decision makers. Because the decision of what security controls do we put in and how do we manage it, that's not made by the CISO. It's made by the business leaders because for them, the cyber risk is just another business risk. Um, what they often don't get from their IT or information security function is how big is that risk? What's going to happen to us? How can we manage that risk? What should we do about that risk? And as long as you are able to communicate that and they then make a decision and say, okay, that risk is one we want to accept or we don't accept, then that, that's what your job is. It's not to say you can't do that because you know, the information security function does not have the role to tell the business what to do. Just like, you know, your CFO wouldn't go and say nobody can spend any money because it's too expensive. They will go, okay, well, if we do spend, if we spend this amount of money, these are the financial risks, this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. And then that the XCOM or whoever's running the organization then will take a decision on what financial risk they're prepared to accept. And the same happens with technical risk. And people sometimes think it's a completely different thing, but it's the same thing. It's a risk management mm -hmm. function. So the skills you need to have, as I said, you do need to understand the technology, but you also need to be able to take the business view. You need to communicate technical cyber risks to people who don't necessarily understand that so I work a lot with very simple examples like I give you an example we had one organization we had an incident and the CEO said to me why can't we see what data they have taken and it's going they, they don't really take the data the data is still there they, they, they've had access to it it's like it's like when somebody breaks into your house and they don't steal your stuff but they take photos of all your stuff you don't know what they've taken a photo of. So we, we can see where they have been, but we don't know what they've done with that information. Mm. And it's that sort of coming up with very simple explanations that allow people to have a picture in their mind of what, how that mm. works and therefore what the risks are and so on, the consequences. It's a really um, powerful picture. Like it feels very intrusive. You know, someone going into yeah, your house. Yeah, to that's literally what it that's is. Exactly <laughs> what's happening. I just, I just remember this morning when I left the house and I say, "Oh my God, the cleaner's coming in today! Quick, quick, quick! Put some stuff in the drawers." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly like that. So it feels really consultative, and this communication aspect is huge. So it leads me on to my next question around transferable skills. We're constantly looking to explain to people from outside of the world of technology, cyber, finance services that there are many avenues into this line of work so I wanted to ask you how transferable you think this is as a career destination it's quite interesting because as I said the CISO role is not in first instance a highly technical role and a lot of CISOs they've done a sideways step um, there might have been operational people there might have been maybe a CIO and um, I've seen CFOs being very successful CISOs because in many ways not being in the bits and bolts of all that kind of technology allows you to step back and see the bigger picture. And in return, the really technical people are very glad that there isn't somebody who constantly tells them what to do because it's, it's such a big field. You can't possibly be an expert in everything. So you need to rely on the experts. And in turn, the experts, they will, as I say, they'll be very grateful if they're not being, mm. you know, cease or splint, as it were. <laughs> the skills you need are obviously people management and all that sort of stuff. You need to have financial skills because you'll be trying to draw up strategies and you need to cost them, you need to explain what 
what the benefit will be of certain aspects of your um, information security program that puts in all these the controls. Operational skills are really important, understanding how big organizations work, because the technology is the technology and the technology is, I mean, I'm not saying it's simple, it's quite complicated, but it's relatively easy to kind of just plug in. Making it work is the hard bit. My example is always multi-factor authentication, which is now a standard control. You can buy a multi-factor authentication solution which sends you tokens or emails or SMS or whatever. It's not very expensive to run, but you kind of need to implement it. How do you roll it out to people, particularly when people are remote? How do you get them to en enroll into this MFA solution? without the MFA being in place. You get that kind of sort of, yeah. how do I do this thing to keep myself safe? But if I can't give them that token solution, then I don't know. Then it's like you're using a one-factor authentication in order to enroll in two-factor authentication. You might just as well not do it. And then you've got the sort of the joiners, leavers, movers process. If somebody change, changes roles, how do you know they need to have a change of access when they leave? What if we've got third parties? Suddenly we're reliant on a vendor to do that for us. How risky do we think that is? And that whole operational side of who's responsible for managing that? Is it IT? Because they don't know when people come and go. Is it HR? They might not understand the risk. Is it compliance? I mean, they're not usually very operational and hands-on. And working that whole operating model out is... And then you have to think, what technology do I use? Does everybody have a mobile phone? Because if you're, say, a manufacturer, most of your people won't have a company mobile phone. Do you put that on their private mobile phone? Will they want that? What happens when they go? You can't wipe their phones and mm. all these aspects. So the operational side is incredibly important. And when you've worked all of that out, then you go, I'm just going to buy that thing over there. Because that's the easy <laughs> yeah. bit, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So that, that is a really important skill. And then obviously project management skills, people management skills. You're going to be doing a lot of matrix management mm. because most of the technology actual work, you know, the people with the, with the screwdrivers, they'll be sitting in a different part of the organization and you'll have to make them do mm. your thing, even mm. though they want to do somebody else thing because that's the actual boss and so mm. on so lots and lots of transferable skills and you have to like technology you've got to find technology exciting you've got to find cyber exciting but less is more in this context mm. i think mm. that is so useful the way you just explained all the different avenues of what makes up this role and all the skills needed for it because i can imagine there'll be so many people listening to this now that will have opened their eyes completely to what this role could look like for yeah. them and the future of their career so just putting on that thread we've spoken a lot about how the industry has changed mm really really quickly there's now roles that, that didn't exist definitely 10 years ago and we can expect this to continue as well what impact do you think this will have in the world of cybersecurity? one of the things that's happened even you know in my lifetime is much much more automation if you used to work in a SOC you used to have like layers of analysts you'd have to you know you line one analyst and then you line two analysts and the idea was that most things would be caught by line one analyst and then you go to line two analyst and line three analyst and so on a lot of this stuff is now automated so there's people who are constantly looking at what comes in and then they're building little algorithm little tools to kind of set them out into we definitely know this is an attack and we have to block it you definitely know it's not an attack it can go through and then the bits in between they get put onto the next layer and so on so so these days in a SOC you typically no longer have line one two analysts that's all automated you have your line three analyst because what you're wanting to try is maximize the value of a human brain everything you can automate you can automate and that's just a very small example of how something that was regarded as oh you need to have lots of technical skills you, you can actually automate these things mm. then we move again away from the actual detail of the technology to 
So how do you now make it happen? So if you implement a SOC and you want to try and automate as many of these things, you know what a SOC is, a security mm. operating center, you want to automate as many alerts as you possibly can, you need to understand what might be a normal behavior on that network. And so you, you're looking again at people who can look at the big picture and go, oh, what's happening here? Maybe every first of the month, the CFO gets lots of data from the ERP, and that's a normal movement, and we're going to put that in. But if it's like on the 15th of the month, it's not a normal movement, so it's, it's suspicious, we want to have an alert. It's understanding how the organization works, what is a normal behavior, and also what matters to the organization, you know, where are your biggest assets and so on. So the automation allows people to become more focused on the outcome they're trying to achieve. It's no longer just write this algorithm and do something and you don't need to care what it does. It's kind of thinking about how do I make the whole process more effective and more efficient. And that's not just about technology. It's also understanding the, the processes, the operations, the organization, the users. What do users tend to do? All that somebody mm. needs to understand. And it is really exciting because it upgrades people from being sort of, you know, just typing stuff to genuinely being people who think about the organization and what's important for the organization and, and what risks the organization runs and how to manage those mm. risks. And, and also when to tell people that they think the risks are too high. Yeah, it's bigger picture thinking, not just order taking. Yeah, yeah, and I exactly. think that's a huge theme that I've seen across the entire industry, not just being siloed in your job, but actually your job being able to understand its own relevance in the bigger picture and the ramifications yeah. of doing it well. When I started in IT, it was, we do what the business tells us. Yeah. <laughs> then a little while later, went, we tell the business what they can do. Here are like yeah. all the possibilities. And now we're kind of going, actually, the business is not, separate to us. We're part of that business and we need to think about our function as a business function and understand what value we can bring to the business. Mm. Um, risks, yes, but risks are also obviously opportunities. Mm. So it's that sort of more risk-focused thinking. Mm. And, and that opens the door for people with diverse backgrounds because you need more and more people who can bring those diverse viewpoints and challenge each other's interpretation of what the risks might be like and what potential answers might be and and also the diversity of the workforce of every organization is often not reflected in the IT and InfoSec function that tends to be quite male and white whereas most organizations certainly in this country tend to be much more diverse and so you have people I mean, I'm obviously exaggerating, but you may have people in IT and InfoSec who are going, well, this is how people work. You go, they don't. It doesn't look at all these people out there. They all work in very different ways. Mm. And if you can only think about one specific way of doing things, then you're going to not see all the other risks that might occur because somebody else is doing it in a slightly different way. Mm. That's really, really useful to hear. And I know that you've also said that when recruiting, you can't look back. You've got to look forward. And this diversity of thought, perspective, opinion is, is very much part of that. Tell us more. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's sort of connected to how quick the technology moves and also how, how quick the, I mean, the bad guys, <laughs> how quick they move on. And so when you recruit now, 
a lot of people make the mistake that they go, oh, George is leaving. George did the 15 things. We'll just write that down on our, on our CV and we're going to ask them to have these skills. And people don't think about whether actually, firstly, did George need to do that? And secondly, do we still need these skills just because George was able to, I don't know, cut mainframe code? Is that really something we still need? Do we even still yeah. have a mainframe? You know, what is the mainframe? I mean, I know what that is, but most people yeah. won't know what that is. And then what they don't think about is, well, what do we need in six months time a year in two years time what skills do we need then and often when you particularly in information security but in IT generally as well I guess you know that in one or two years time you will be in a different world so recruiting for what we have now when it's all going to change in six or 12 or 18 months time is quite bad because you're recruiting now it's going to take you I don't know six months to get somebody in place and it's probably going to take them three to six months before they get anything proper done and by that time that technology that you've recruited them for is just like an old hat and you want them to do something mm. new so you'd kind of need to think ahead about what are the skills that I need I think when we talked about it uh, a little while ago I was explaining about uh, at Hiscox we changed our SOC provision and my team didn't have the skills to do that yet but we knew it was going to take 12 to 18 months before we we're up and running and there's more than enough time for someone to get trained up and learn and then feel confident afterwards mm. and and that's how you kind of need to go ahead with that yeah when we spoke we also spoke about the impact of not forging forward with diversity of thought and I really liked your thoughts on this because you were telling me about how you build this sector you need to build it to be more inclusive than it is now because if you don't the same people will have the same views on what different threats may be exactly so tell us a bit more about that yeah I mean we always talk in IT generally we always talk about our use base and our users and, and so on but obviously in InfoSec you've got two sets of users you've got your users in the organization or your customers maybe whatever and then you've got the bad guys who are I mean they're also users of your technology not in the way in which you want them to be so it's very very important to not just understand your good users and make sure that they know how to use the system securely but also the ideas your bad users might come up with and um, we see this I mean we see this particularly well when it comes to phishing emails I'm sure everybody gets like a million trillion phishing emails yeah. a day and most of them you just go buff, buff, and then every now and then something turns up and you go oh and it's because somebody has really thought about the user and what might make them tick what how to trigger something with them and that social engineering of users I mean that's what the bad guys do and if we don't think like they do then it, we make their lives easier for them so so understanding how diverse our use bases and how diverse the, the, the bad guys are you can't do that as an individual nobody has that sort of 360 degree brain so you need as many people as possible because there's always going to be somebody in a room when you go oh yeah that's not going to happen and somebody pipes up and said oh I did that yesterday and you go, <laughs> but if you've done it then somebody else will do it so yeah. let's make sure that you know either you can no longer do that or, or we fix that hole and, and it just cannot longer be done by anybody mm. and it's that sort of that sort of being aware that there's nobody who thinks exactly the same way as you do. And the more uh, diversity you have, and that's all sorts of diversity, that's gender, that's age, that's educational background, that's national background. So for example, if you go to cultures like Japan, people have a very different way of behaving. And, and you, if you work for a Japanese organization, you kind of need to understand that. Otherwise you're gonna put on your own kind of, this is what people 
back home do and then you know your Japanese colleagues will do completely different things but it's also diversity of uh, background from an experience work experience type of way you know your operational people are going to be really good to tell you what, what's going to go wrong with that MFA solution your finance people will be really good at helping you work out the cost benefit of doing something versus not doing something HR people your compliance people it will be really great to kind of tell you how your security awareness program can be improved how people pay more attention to it and you want all of these people in there and yes and also the idea that when you have all those people you don't just have them you have to make use of them properly which is where the inclusion aspect comes in there's no point mm-hmm. in having lots of diverse faces around the table and then you know the the person in the middle makes the choice anyway well you know i've heard all your opinions and we're doing what i've told you to do because then you might just as well not have that diversity <laughs> yeah, of thought yeah. in the room and i've definitely seen that happen before and oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's such a shame and such a waste and sometimes it needs to happen like that because you know sometimes a decision somebody needs to make a decision and that decision will can only be one way but it's important to base that decision on what everybody's view might be and of course not everybody's view is always equally valid and that's your job as a leader to kind of go which are the ones that really matter but if you don't go and ask people their opinions or their thoughts then you're just going to make very very poor decisions mm. and then people make a poor decision and then they blame the team for, <laughs> yeah. you know, for not having implemented correctly or something yeah, like that yeah absolutely this has been a fantastic episode and thank you for sharing so many insights my last question is very much focused on the fact that i always introduce these pods saying we're here today to walk the talk for change mm-hmm. I want people to listen to us talking, but then everyone who's listening to go and do some of that walk the talk to really drive inclusion in all workplaces. So what would be your lasting comments to people listening on what more they can do for authentic workplace inclusion? Oh, oh God, that's a really difficult question. I'm not sure I have, a, I have an easy answer for that. I think from a personal point of view, because I've done lots of different jobs and have often found that people go, well, you don't know anything about that because you haven't done blah before. I know what it feels when somebody dismisses your opinion out of hand on the basis of that you you know you haven't got the right badge or whatever. But I think I think it's looking at less what people have done in the past but what people could do in the future. So it's that sort of forward looking thing of you said about transferable skills, but also attitude is really important. Yeah. What's your attitude? Are you somebody who wants to learn? Are you somebody who is prepared to have lots of various complicated things thrown at them and they just go oh okay I'll work out what that is you know do you have the right attitude and then don't just throw them in the deep water and let them drown but you know help them to find their feet work their way through that organization through the problems and and learn as they go along are you prepared to do that because when you do bring people in from diverse backgrounds you can't just expect that they understand everything you say that every word that you use any very technical word means something to them so you need to be prepared to explain you need to prepare to help them find sources of information where they can start teaching themselves but again the attitude they need to have the attitude that they want to do that they want to be able to learn and so on and i think that's the thing that i would be most looking out mm. for that that mental attitude to say this is an exciting area any skill i bring will be useful in cyber security not not in every position but somewhere it's going to be somewhere there will be a space for me and i will be learning and going along enough in previous roles i've brought in people who were project managers program managers people with a compliance background at one point we had a, somebody who came straight out of university very good computer science student and you bring in these diverse people 
and then you have to accept that it's going to be a bit bumpy whenever a new person comes in who hasn't done this job before and then at the end after well, the end after a little while you suddenly go god that person is so good and they're doing this yeah. job so much better than I had ever imagined they would be able to do it. Yeah. And also they're doing it much better than I could possibly have done it mm. because they bring that other background that mm. I just don't have. And you need to be patient. You have to mm. have that patience to let people grow. Obviously, you're not going to get 10 diverse people in and say, get on with it. You kind of bring people in one after the other yeah. so that you know you you always have a, a, a stock, as it were, of people who kind of know what they're mm. doing, who can kind of bring in the new person and, and help them, support them. Yeah. And I think that's... I mean, I don't think it's there's any sort of magic bullet or anything. Mm. You just have to kind of keep doing that. And I think particularly in IT and InfoSec, where there's so much demand out there and we're constantly so much attrition, you always have to think about what's going to happen next year. You know, I've got 12 people now, great. Uh, two of them will leave. I don't know which two because that's what's going to happen. So how do I start recruiting, thinking about those next two people? Mm. Maybe there's somebody I've worked with in the past who didn't want to change two years ago but now they might be interested yeah, I'll definitely keep contact with them and people we both know that networking is sowing not reaping so you sow your networks and then maybe two or three years later yeah this person when you talk to them and say look remember we had this conversation about a role are you now interested and they go you know what two years ago I wasn't but now I am so it's that sort of keeping all that sort of alive mm. and running I think yeah I love that that's been so so helpful everything that you've shared with us today has been incredibly insightful and I know the audience will have learned so much from you so thank you for joining us on the DEI discussions podcast series thank you for having me and thank you for the very nice tea <laughs> you're welcome <laughs>